Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is the Tortoise Shack live recording uh, from a couple of days ago with Mehmet Ulada, Shami Malakmian and Harry McEvansonia. Uh, do check it out if you want to come to these events, if you want to uh, have your say, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It really helps us keep the mics on, the conversations happening and you get access to all the additional content that we continue to put out. Uh, this week alone we have a conversation with, with the wonderful writer Grace Dias. Uh, there's also a conversation with economist of Neary, Kieran Nugent, on the cost of living crisis and what the latest data on deprivation tells us. And we're just about to record now with Professor Richard Murphy in the UK. Listeners uh, will have heard him a few times and he always goes down a treat. All of those will be available as quickly as I can turn them around on the Patreon feed. One more time, please click the link. It's in the pod you're listening to right now. Patreon.com forward slash tortoise I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday Special. Today we have a great panel of guests with us. We'll start with Harry McEvan Sonia, then we are joined by Mehmet Udag, and then finally we are joined by Shamim Malekmiam. And I'd like to thank everybody that I got your names right today. And also, I'm going to hand us over to to uh, my co-host, Tony Graves. Yeah, well done, man. Mehmet Uluda, it's not that hard. Um, but you did well on, like, I mean, it's only the 10th time introducing the lads. Um, no, just look, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, it's been a hectic week. There are a couple of things I want to, I want to talk about just before we kick off. Obviously, we're going to get into obviously a lot of it around homelessness. I mean, the statistics this week are are shameful, uh, and it ne- more needs to be said about it. I do want to talk about yesterday briefly about the raise the roof, um, the, the the rally, and you know it was a successful rally. It was it was late November. It was wet. It was damp, and there were still thousands of people marching, which is really encouraging. I will say um, there was criticism and I saw it and I spoke to people there on the day about a lack of diversity on, on the speakers panel. And um, I spoke to people who were talking about it, 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 people, and I spoke to people from the traveling community, and it is fair to acknowledge it. It has to be acknowledged. It's okay. And one of the lessons, Martin, we've been told all the time is pass the mic or put up another chair. Yeah. 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 But pull people in, you know, don't talk about let people talk for themselves. They're well able to talk. For themselves. Yeah. And but I, I, that's I do not want to take away from the fact that everybody came out. Everybody showed solidarity. There were some great speeches. I posted um, James O'Toole from Tahani Houses on, online. And I thought it was I know I spoke to him actually as he came off stage and he was shaking from the emotion that he would put into it. It's a it's well worth looking back on. And Mehmet, I saw you there. No, Harry, you were there. You, um, Shamim, you were at a more difficult situation on the day, and we may we may mention that <laughs> is where 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 you were. Um, but I do want to go straight into politics, Harry, if you don't mind. Uh, this is the this is the first time in what is it now eighteen months where Sinn Fein have suffered a a a backward step on the old Red Sea pole, and we're supposed to look at this now and say. Is that the change in momentum that we were expecting? And now is that, you know, is that the idea that now Fine Gael are coming back into office, they will start to rise again? Harry, I don't know. Can I get can I ask you for your interpretation of what you saw? Yeah, so you're, you're right that this is this is not what we've seen recently. Like we have seen a small drop off in Sinn Fein's um, support in the polls, but this has been a more substantial one, certainly the first one that's sort of outside margin of error kind of stuff. 
Um, it's their worst one since March. I think this is Finnegale's best poll since April. Um, and when we look at over the last few months of polling, there has been like a small movement towards Finnegale again. Um, not a huge amount. It's like a point and a half on your average and out. But there's definitely there is definitely a trend there um, that they are recovering slightly, and and we are seeing sort of a slowdown and now a drop off for Sinn Fein. Uh, again, I know people get very excited about these things when a single poll comes out and it shows like a big, you know, seven point swing or whatever. Um, but, you know, as with everything, as I always say with these, it's about, you know, look at it in the context of this. Sinn Féin are still like over 12 points ahead on average. We don't have the breakdowns yet for the Red Sea poll. But um, again, that will give us more information on kind of what we're, we're seeing, if there's something driving this and so on. Um, but there's definitely been a trend developing over the last few months where we've seen a lot of stability uh, in the in the polling that things have been almost stagnant in terms of support. Seeing Finnegal come up a little bit is again. I, I don't know if it's surprising. Like these things happen. There's natural fluctuations within it. They have. Look, I mean, as you know, you said there's there's not going to be an immediate budget bounce, but this is the kind of thing we talk about that you can see sort of slow change and slow growth over a series of months, and that's what we've seen. That has been positive for them. Um, but ultimately, again, like it's, it is still a small movement. You're looking at one poll that shows a three point movement, whereas the rest of them are all kind of in the same 21% range. Um, so I wouldn't get overexcited if I was in Finnegale. Um, I'd certainly take positives from it if I was them. Um, but I don't think this shows necessarily that we're seeing a big change yet. Has, it is a small change. It is a small trend, but it's definitely. Has, has, we were watching this earlier in the year and Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael were kind of drawn level and there was a window of opportunity for Fianna Fáil to slip ahead of Fianna Gael. Harry, that's all gone now. That's all gone. Fianna Fáil completely kicked into third place. Well, this is it. I mean, they've had a very long time to do that and they've been kind of coasting a point or two behind them for pretty much all year without ever moving past them and now we are seeing a little bit of a gap opening because it's worth noting as well while well, everyone's getting excited about um the Sinn Féin Fine Gael kind of things also on 15% in that poll that's not good even for Red Sea yeah. who don't poll Fine Gael very well um but like overall if you if you look at it in isolation it looks quite significant but if you look at it within the trend of the year and particularly in the trend going back to the last election mm. you have this basically you're seeing like this much movement between the two a very small amount for a very very large gap so I'd hesitate to draw conclusions from it. I think there's going to be well, there's one, there's one, there's one conclusion we can draw. Sixteen percent of people thought they were doing a good job on housing. So there's they're pretty hardcore going to support them there. You know, there's sixteen percent of a the base. They're never losing when you see that that they're gonna they think they're doing a good job on housing. But this is it, and I mean, you know, that that kind of thing is interesting because it does give you a sense of it. The overall, like, I think it was just under half of people think the government is doing a, a good job in general, mm. and I think that's much more telling than oh, there's been a movement in Finnegale or Sinn Fein's um, score this month of like three or four points in either direction uh, and a very small average movement. When you look at that and you say, yeah, half the country is pretty happy with how the government is running things, and we've sort of seen that kind of thing beforehand with the majority of people not wanting an election before the end of the term, but that's the kind of stuff that is encouraging for them more so than their individual support levels, because it's saying, hey, look, about half the country is happy with the way things are going, and considering how much of a battering we see the government take constantly over stuff, that's actually not bad. Like that, you've got to take positives from that. It it wasn't in the polls, but Eamon Ryan reckons that the Greens can land 10%. Harry, what is the chances of the Greens landing 10%? Uh, Uh, Mehmet wants to come in. 
I thought that was 10% of, ex- of his extended family. <laughs> <laughs> Any more of that, Mehmet? We're kicking you out. That's the end of that. Apologies. Look, you never know. We're... We're a couple of years away still from an election. Something could happen. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, the rest of us likely. could get wiped uh, out, Harry. Look, yes. As I said to you, Martin, like, it's his job to do that. He's the party leader at the party convention. He's not going to come out and say, ah, yeah, no, we're going to lose all our seats and nobody likes us anymore. Uh, or, well, he's trying to say, well, you're all going to lose your seat. I'm probably going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I screwed the pooch. Yeah. You're suffering. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't read too much into that. He's doing his job. He's rallying the troops. He's making you know the best of it and giving a positive message and that's fine do i think he's being realistic no not in the slightest um it would take something like that would that would be double more than double what they're currently polling the local elections will be telling and he did and he was right on that they will be telling but i do i do want to make one point on it though that's interesting is that we saw this this opinion poll came out and I know speaking remember if you we heard the reports from the Fine Gael Ardesh that they were really delighted that Leo Varadkar was going to be back as Taoiseach that he'd been cleared by SIPO and he'd been cleared by the the DPP and all of these things and, and it was going to have a bounce for them I think that's actually where they've really miscalculated. We saw this week where he made that comment about the grass far away or grass hills far away aren't greener and it really backfired and I think that will only that that type of personality trait will only come to the fore when he resumes the the role of 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 Taoiseach and like he's he's been a very uncomfortable tarnished let's tell the truth like he spent the first 6 8 months pretty much undermining or announcing things before the the Taoiseach got the opportunity to do it he ran ahead of him several times that's going to become a problem and i do think there's a likability problem there. And I think we'll see that play out. Maybe again, this is me being a hostage for for, fortune, uh, Harry. So, so you can write it down. I I think you could be pretty much guaranteed that once Michal Martin steps down as Taoiseach, that within Fianna Fáil, there's going to be, uh, movement. I think you can pretty much guarantee that. None of them are, none of them are strong enough. We do need to move on. um, Oh yeah. Shamim, Shamim, can I move on to you, please? You've written and it's really a phenomenal piece you've written. And I looked at the comments about what you've written, and it has said that this is one of the most significant pieces ever written in Ireland. Now that's that's a that's a huge accolade. Shamim, what have you been writing about? Uh, so this week I've been writing about some of the new policies that the International Protections um, System or the Department of Justice is bringing in for um for people who are care newly come here to seek asylum so um what it does essentially is kind of it undermines people's access to legal aid um and it is directed at people who come from uh, countries that are in a list that um a lot of European Union countries do have, and Ireland does have, that they're called countries of uh, origins that are considered safe. Um, it is directed at them, but unfortunately, it does impact every as- other asylum seeker as well, because basically asylum seekers are kind of pushed to... Um, give information really fast on the day that they seek asylum. So they used to pick up a questionnaire, asylum questionnaire, and they would take it away with them and they would tell them, you can fill this fill this out with a lawyer's help. But what happens essentially right now is that they have to they have to fill it out on the day. So um and that's the day they arrive in the country, Shamim. 
that's the day that they go to the International Protection Office okay. to seek asylum, to get fingerprinted, photographed, and things like that. And so this this is a substantial legal document. So you have to be completely accurate in whatever you write about your asylum case. So it's kind of difficult to write, you know. And at this stage, um, if there is not an interpreter there or if there's not a lawyer available, it's really difficult. And then the Department of Justice says that there be cultural mediators available on, on site. But like, I am not sure like how much a cultural mediator can give legal advice or well, if they What exactly is a cultural mediator, Shemin? To be honest, I'm not sure. I asked the Department of Justice what it means, and they were like, um, they're providing support, but they can't give formal legal uh, advice. Shamim, yeah. you're, you're smiling there. You're you're involved in United Against Racism. You spoke to us during the week about being a, a, an economic migrant yourself and going through the system and supporting people coming through the system. Uh, first of all, if I can ask you, do you, do you know? Uh, do you know the answer to the question or and and or what's your thoughts on what is uh, Shamim again brilliant journalism please support the Dublin Enquirer keep get the plugs in folks support independent support that media outlet they're brilliant sorry Mehmet first of all thank you to Shamim for actually writing that piece I read it and it was really an eye-opener and it's very important that we understand. Secondly, I think something Shamim said is very relevant to the debate that's ongoing at the moment. Asylum seekers going to the IPO, being fingerprinted, being photographed, being recorded, therefore being actually vetted and having mm-hmm. a file with the state. No one is anonymous. No one is not unknown, basically, when you're seeking asylum. That's very important because what we hear, for example, in some of the protests, by people saying they are not vetted, they, they, are, they are randomers and whatnot. Thirdly, I think it's a buzzword. Because to seek asylum in any country, I don't think, you know, that who you are, what culture you're coming from, what religion you're coming from matters. What matters actually is that you have genuine and proper access to legal support, time, and all the procedural details that you can actually navigate the system properly fair in a fair manner in a just manner and you can actually put your case forward so that you can be having a fair assessment every word in an asylum application matters one word you use out of context because of language difficulties because of your misunderstanding will certainly impact the rest of the process that you might find yourself in a very difficult situation i think we need to understand people are coming through very difficult journeys to any country, had already had a very daunting experience, very difficult experience. The second experience cannot be one. There is the massive state machine, and there is the individual who may or may not have the opportunity to access proper support and help. And I think that is, uh, access to help and proper professional support will also be very important for the state to Can- properly assess the people rather than actually, you know, have a have a, someone who's, who might be confused and whatnot. To me, that cultural assistant is just a buzzword to soften the message of this fast tracking, which may be fast tracking on the way out. Yes, yes. And I was going to ask Shamim about that. Shamim, we have a new minister for justice or a, a new temporary minister for justice coming in. And you said you tried to talk to the Department of Justice about this. What kind of replies did you get? About cultural mediators, is it? Yes. 
about cultural mediators, they I ask them who hires them because it's important if they're if they're hired by the International Protection Office, obviously they're autonomy their independence is a matter of dispute, right, yeah. you know. Um but they didn't really say who hires them. They just said that um they're providing support but they can't offer formal legal advice but essentially they're giving informal legal advice you know and there are people who aren't lawyers essentially you know and uh, and M- M- matt you you work with a lot of refugees somebody come to you and said uh, can we have some what are they calling them cultural mediators has anybody uh, approached uh, i mean are, is there any buy-in from the community that you take care of I think think there is confusion among the people what exactly the new process will look like. There's fear and there's an unknown who the person is. And I think what Shibim said is very important. Uh, Non-professional legal advice is a very dodgy situation. Mm -hmm. You know, medical and professional uh, 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 legal advice has to be really, really professional because you can really misguide, misled the person into a direction that could have horrific outcomes. So people don't know, but there's a debate among the asylum seekers and there's a bit of concern, basically, what to do, how to respond to this. Uh, I think it's very early stages, but I'm sure we will see the fallout from that. And I'm sure there will be others who will be interested. I think, for example, the Refugee Council, the migrant rights uh, groups, and indeed uh, uh, civil rights groups will have to, I think, uh, uh, look at that. Because justice, I mean, there are two problems, very quickly. The one us, one bad situation is the endless amount it takes for an asylum seeker to process the case. Mm-hmm. There are people up to 10 years in direct provision. That's been a horrific practice of the last 20 years. The alternative to that cannot be a fast-tracked, rushed through, incomplete, and, 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 and not fair and just system replacing this long-waiting queues with very quick uh, uh, processes that actually don't help people at all. See, the issue is now, this is my, my open borders logic, sort of, you mean you're going to fall out over that. I, like passports didn't exist over 120 years ago. It's it's a strange, it's a strange concept that we, we don't, we can discriminate by dint of place of birth. But nonetheless, you know, I understand um, a lot of the local concerns in certain areas that we've seen these things and like we, we have to, we have to address them head on. But quite often, you know, we saw this week people saying, you know, we need to talk about managed migration. We need to talk about um, what we're doing. And then when you ask them, what do you mean by that? They go very quiet because they, they, it's, you know, it's, and I've seen it with a lot of political correspondents as well. And I said it on social media a lot. They they allowed several TDs of all parties and none to say this week that you can't talk about migration without asking them, what is it that you want to say that you feel you can't say? And that's a failure of journalism as well. And I mean, I mean, Harry, can I bring you in for a moment? Because the talking points that have 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 kind of been they were been niche, but now they're kind of much more comfortable using them. They're talking about the great the great replacement theory, and I mean, you have to like you know this is the type of nonsense that 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 um, people in the Jewish community have heard for years. Because when we spoke to Jacob Wolf about it before, and he spoke about the fact that it was it was so clear that. It, it, at the at the root of this was a lot of anti-Semitism, and yet we hear it now. But I I I could point to ten tweets this week where below me there's these accounts with twelve followers, and they're and they're all peddling this stuff now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird, you know, seeing this as you know, as Jacob's probably mentioned as well as you said. Um, 
seeing kind of these long-term things that you notice because you're Jewish, or you would probably notice if you were from migrant background or any of the affected groups really by any of these things, um, becoming people becoming increasingly bold in stating them, what have always been very, very fringe opinions. Now, part of that is obviously just the way the online milieu is at the moment, but also then seeing some of the stuff being said around East Wall offline as well. Um, it's pretty horrific. And the, the thing is with that is, like I look at, you know, why is this thing gaining traction? And what I find so, I don't want to say interesting, because it's not interesting, it's awful. But when you look at it, you're like, right, so you've got this thing saying all these people are coming here. Why? They're coming here because they want to have a better standard of life, basically. And then it's like, oh, no, but our country, you know, oh, they can't come here because we, we've no houses, we've, we've no health service, we've no nothing. What you get there is you get something that bridges a gap in that racist logic, in that conspiracy logic by saying, well, no, no, the reason they're coming here, even though our country is terrible because it's been ruined by whoever, uh, <laughs> whoever with uh, <laughs> brackets around it, um, it solves that problem because it's, oh, it's all part of a great conspiracy to destroy your way of life. That's the only reason they're here. People aren't here because they're fleeing war. They aren't here because they're fleeing um, oppression. They aren't here because they can't put uh, food on their plates in their home country. They're here to attack you, to destroy your way of life. The fact that there are problems in Ireland doesn't matter anymore. And what you have with this overarching conspiracy is you're able to essentially um, dismiss all of the flaws in your own racist logic because there's a bigger thing that's come here to attack uh, Irish people or white people or whatever it is they're saying, uh, Christian Western values. And then that's, yeah, that you can pull everyone to that. You've got, oh, you know, there's people coming from the Middle East, coming from Africa, coming from Asia, coming from everywhere that we're not. And why are they coming here? Oh, it's because of the Jews. It's because of this. It's because of um, these, all of these non-white groups are coming together to attack you. And it just, uh, the reason I think we're seeing that spread is because it's like, well, they can't win a logical argument. They can't win a rational argument because there are so many problems in what they're doing that normal people look at them and go, well, that's just weird. But what you do is you're able to create a narrative of saying there's a bigger force at play here. And it hasn't, and we have to be real about this, it hasn't got a ton of traction. This is still a small no. group of people. Yeah, I agree. They're a very, very, very dangerous group of people. And that's the problem that I think we see with the coverage of this a lot is that they look at it and say, well, these people are politically unsuccessful. There's only a couple of hundred people. That's not a very big protest. So why are we overly worried about it? And that doesn't matter. If you're the person who they're getting, they're going to attack, they're verbally at the fear of physical violence. You're, you're the one who's actually, if if you don't have skin in the game, it's easy to take a risk with someone else's. Yeah. And that can is- I, too- Can I just, I just sort of retell a little, a little story I had last night. Um, somebody was talking to me about this and saying, why won't you debate? And I was saying, because if I debate, I'm platforming. And it's not about a debate. It's simply about being platformed. But we see that now leaking, not leaking through, actually actually overwhelming mainstream media where they're using these phrases that we know, are, as Harry would say, these things that were given that are unacceptable things to say that we've had two wars to sort this shit out. And yet here we have these phrases like swarm that is being used in the mainstream media. And that's the crossover. That's the crossover. That's how you make your niche racist views mainstream. And that's how you make them mainstream. And you make it okay to talk like that. And it's not okay to talk like Can that. Can I, I know that th- th- this is really unfair of me, but maybe Shamim, I know you've you've gone down to East Wall and you've walked the, the, the amongst the protesters and stuff. I always remember the phrase, um, a buddy of mine, Carl from from LA, used. He said, "Talk about the quiet hum of racism," and you know, it wasn't it wasn't 
wasn't spoken aloud. Um, how did you find the last the last couple of times that you've got kind of walked out, walked down and, and tried to do some reporting? What what did it? And this is again, we are loath to pick on East Wall. This is we can go back to Ruski and Mehmet. You were great talking to you to outline the stuff that happened this week. But Shamim, if I could ask you, like how you've sort of seen it in the last few days since this kind of flare up. You know, it's a funny thing for me because I'm I'm a foreigner and I'm also covering immigration so I'm, I'm somebody they absolutely hate so every time I go down there I feel like um they, they're just completely they're all looking at me and they're like they have questions like yesterday um somebody came up to me and was like what's your name and I said my name is Shmeem and they were like he said are you a you're a local huh and I was in like, it's impossible for you to be a local. I said, no, I was a journalist at Dublin Inquirer. And then um, it, it, one, one thing that um, really was interesting to me the, the, was the use of children in speeches. Um, they made a very little girl to go up and read the Irish uh, Republic proclamation. Uh, I thought that was really, really bizarre. Uh, and... Um, they were using, um, they named all of the local councillors in the area and they started booing them and everything. And they were like, Niall Ring could not make it because um, he he's go to a wedding or something. But I've been in touch with Niall Ring these past few days so many times. I was wondering if, because um, I was asking people, some of the locals, they're disappointed in you, but he hasn't commented. But but like, and then the amount of, they, they brought in Marilyn McDonald and, um they boo. They were booing everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we saw, yeah, we yeah. saw that. We saw the video of them actually chanting yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of the, abuse at at a poster of Mary Lou Macdonald. Um, did anybody? Did anybody draw a straight line from the failed housing policy to you know and the current government, or was it just more local? Sorry, but because it, yeah. I think they they mentioned like they were they were like oh yeah people are are walking um for housing today but they, they're not realizing that this is an immigration problem the housing is caused by immigration so th- they can't really move on from the point talking point of housing is caused by immigration you know they just are stuck there they just can't move on from that point right. um but, but what's what what was interesting is that that because I was monitoring this telegram channels this past few days like this one that happened yesterday was completely organized on Telegram, you know, it was okay. something completely organized on Telegram by by a guy who lives in um I think Mitchellstown is that in Cork. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now, yeah. Now don't get me started on my Cork, Cork <laughs> biases, but but look, it, I think that's really interesting that that's where it's it's not locally done. It's 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 coming from another place. But the other thing that that is interesting to said people are marching for housing today as well but it's not they're not linking it to immigration the state started linking it to immigration on its monthly homeless figures by literally taking a new category so it's easier on when the homeless report comes out when it came out the other day the show that there's nearly eleven and a half thousand people homeless it's easier to see how many of them are non-irish born than it is children and that was never the case before somebody made a decision to make that change and you know um, Harry uh, Mehmet, we'd call that a dog whistle, no? I think whatever the reason behind that statistics in in the way it's presented, I don't know to be honest with you. But isn't that the number? Isn't the number itself shocking? Mm-hmm. When we have hundred sixty six thousand or so derelict or vacant homes, isn't that shocking? 
there is a great replacement in this country, but it's not the migrants replacing Irish people. It's the private landlords, vulture funds, replacing a policy of building public homes for the people in need. That is the replacement of profit-driven housing market with the, with the blessing of the government. And that's what's happening, I think, in this country. I mean, the people of Eastwall are not racist. I mean, there are 400 to 1,000 people over the last couple of days, over weeks, uh, coming to these rallies. Eastwall is a massive uh, region of Dublin. It's a very diverse. And I wouldn't call people of Eastwall racist, but there is racism. It's a different thing, if you know what I mean. And housing problems, deep crises as, as such, is always an excuse for those who have no interest, by the way, in solving the housing problem. Who have no interest in, by the way, solving the problems of single mothers who are actually facing eviction. It's an excuse for them to mobilize, galvanize, and build their build their ideological structures, basically, in communities. I mean, yesterday the rally was what 150 to 300 people, according to reports. It's organized by outsiders, and I think people of Eastwall have no sort of direct link with the far right or far right forces, but they are angry. And they're right to be angry. And I think what's happening at the moment is the disregard of the housing minister to these calls by the people, a white, Irish-born, Irish-bred man sitting in powerful position, ignoring the demands and the needs of the Irish people. I think that is the problem that we are I, facing. I, I actually know people, uh, quite a few people in Eastwell, a family in there. And uh, I know for a fact that overcrowding and East Wall is a huge problem where you have uh, you have two families living in a house, maybe mom and dad with with adult adult wife, husband, children. And it's it's it really is a problem. And it's a problem right across the city. And it's it, I think Tony, I'm right in saying that it's worse now than it has been since the sixties. Oh, overcrowding ever the last time overcrowding, according to Lorcan, sort of the last time overcrowding was was becoming an issue. It's not as bad as it was. We had the the move to clear out the tenements. That's right. Mm-hmm. Think That's about right. think about that in the in the historical context. Um, and we see these things. I mean, like like Dan O'Brien was talking today on Brendan O'Connor saying we've the we've a, a higher level of social homes in Ireland in one of the higher levels in the EU, but we don't. We're at eight percent. Dan was quoting sixteen percent. He wasn't. He wasn't actually equating the fact that half our stock is hap tenancies and, uh, and that's to... really damaging tony that's exactly really damaging. i mean that's he's on the national broadcaster he's able to say these things and because the state have tricked people into believing that hap is social housing you're never more than six months away from eviction when it comes to that and actually i'd like to talk to, to, to harry about this for a second because i would like your your take on the fact that this now, these these tensions that we've been talking about, Harry, for years that we've kind of warning people it was going to start to boil up like this. It's it's going to actually doesn't seem like it's going to affect the those in power as much as the opposition parties currently. Uh, do you feel like that where where this is going in terms of, you know, the, the public perception that it's a it's an almost as if the, the, the left have to account for the, the, the government policy failures and, and where does, will this go for the polls? Well, I think there's a, there's a degree of that. Um, and I think, you know, there's also been a very concerted effort by the government to blame the opposition for its housing failures over the last few years, which has been, I, I guess somebody believes it. Um, but I think, you know, honestly, I think what's worrying about this is, you know, 
it's not about how it's going to reflect on politics. This goes back to what Mehmet was saying. Like, this is it's communities that are going to see the real damage from this kind of thing, not only because of the lack of housing, but because that's where the tensions are going to be directed. Yeah, people will get mad at, you know, get whipped up by the right and go and <laughs> give a give out to a poster of Mary Lou McDonald, which is, is just very strange behavior altogether. But um, ultimately, that's really a secondary factor. Where we perhaps might see something is like what happened um, to uh, was it was Martin Kenny, the Sinn Féin TD's car got burned burned out. Um, that kind of thing, uh, that kind of political violence. We have seen uh, intimidation campaigns against both government and opposition political figures. Um, that's more worrying, I think, than any kind of polling in, impact. I think that's probably going to be more significant. But even then, um, what people are going to face with the tensions this causes in communities, with these rifts that we see them being exploited by these people who, and if, if we look at how the far right operate, like they'll come into an area, they'll whip up a load of um, tension, um, and then they'll leave and go somewhere else and repeat the process. And that's kind of what we've seen in places like Ruski and now in Eastwall and so on. Um, I think that's where the real threat is. You know, for me, as much as I'm kind of I like my polls and I like my statistics. I think that's really going to be a secondary concern in all of this. It's what's, how is this going to affect the lives of people who are in vulnerable positions who are going to be exploited um, and threatened uh, one way or the other? Uh, and those sort of divisions and tensions stoked up. While, as you say, the people who are responsible are not going to be held accountable for this ultimately at the end of the day. Um, that I think is the thing we should be we should be worried about. And I think that's what we should be focusing on. Uh, I'm not too worried if it's something that impacts you know Sinn Fein support a little bit. Like obviously you know somebody who wants change in government that's not great. But realistically, when they, you see the level of intimidation going on, when you see this kind of low level political violence that continually feels like it's very close to not being low level anymore and becoming much more dangerous and active. Again, even though it's only a small group of people who are responsible. Um, those kind of tensions growing and the kind of number of people involved in this, the number of people being taken advantage of as a result of that or threatened by that, that I think is the thing we should be focusing on. Shamim, I just want to come back to you for another story that that rose during the week. And again, it's particularly directed at migrants into this country in that the Gardaí um, rang a load of uh, escort agencies or whatever it was during the week and arrived in women's homes. I, then, I, want, I want to say we hope to talk to the lads behind ugly mugs about this during the week, but go ahead, Martin. Yeah, Shamim, in that the, the, the structural violence that we see built in with forms, that we see built in with direct provision, that's also built into the Gardaí, but it's been targeted at women and predominantly non-national women. Have, was there any sense of that coming up during the week? Um, yeah, obviously that in, in terms of the sex workers, it's, it's definitely an issue. And, uh, um, yeah, especially if you're a migrant sex worker, I can't imagine if you're, if you're, if you're being arrested or something. And obviously they, we, we know that there has been instances when the Gary's has, have investigated people's immigration statuses, you know, and just reported it back to the Department of Justice. Um, so, so, so they are, um, they are on a, on a level um, more and more vulnerable to it if they're migrants and if they're migrant sex workers, you know, and, and some of these women are pushed to, to, into these situations right. because because they they may have had, came here with a spouse and they may have an immigration status tied to the spouse, you know, and then they were in an abusive situation and that the, the man can just refuse to uh, help them renew their immigration permissions, you know, and then we have the stamp three situation where people are locked out of the labor market, the 
them and and just just expected of them to sit at home and be a wife you know and obviously it can create a very toxic situation uh, and then if somebody is pushed into the sex work obviously and then the current sex work laws that we have if they're ended up um in 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 the detention of the guardi they um we have seen the guards investigating people's uh, immigration status there was a there was a this came from a from a high ranking person in Angora Shikana it was their PhD thesis and I remember at the time when I asked the guardi about it they were like oh that's just a PhD thesis and I was like but obviously this was this is based on some truth you know it, this is yeah every every day Shamim I miss uh, Vicky Conway um my, our yeah. former colleague Absolutely, Vicky Conway. Yeah. but but when I see stories like this and how she could break it down and 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 be so cogent about the arguments that 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 I can't and, and I'm going to give you 90 seconds to be cogent now Tony be cogent about what's happening no no I just well like obviously we saw the headline on the on the tonish you wanting to let Gardy be armed okay that's uh that's a very worrying leading headline it's very worrying very concerning I will say actually on the flip side to this it's a conversation I had with um Sam McElwain of Shrapnel which was an interesting one about the PSNI should there ever be in United Ireland the PSNI are armed and our guardy aren't, and it's it's it, it is a and it is a problem within the forces. I think that is very concerning. I do want to return. I know I said it at the beginning, but I'll say it again now. Can't see, can't be. Put people on stage, pass the mic, pull up a chair. Whether it's people from the tra- traveling community who need to be talking, or it's other people from need to be represented, please do that. Iran, folks. We keep losing. We keep losing focus on what's happening there. We are struggling to get people. Like I'm, I'm talking to people offline who won't comment for fear of of, of retribution against their their families. We see now it's been stoked in different ways, and it's been politicized again. It's fallen into different camps. Please, 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 let's not lose focus on this. Um, I'm trying to get someone else to talk to us during the week, but look, we'll see where it goes with that. And then, it's it's absolutely bizarre to me. That we've now gone over ele- nearly eleven and a half thousand people homeless, Martin. And I look, I can't. The state I have can't. the state have effectively normalised it. They've made okay. it. What was it? Mary Harney successfully said you can't kind of fix the health system because she said it's Angola. That's that was right. the phrase she said. Now they've almost managed to do that. They've managed to do that with homelessness. They have. They absolutely have managed it. It's now seen as something that's unfixable. And as Mehmet said, there's 166,000 empty houses in Ireland. We don't have a homeless problem. We have a home hoarding problem. And that's what's going on at the moment. I'm going to come to Harry. Harry, I want to ask you particularly the World Cup. You're looking at it uh, uh, from your perspective. What are you learning? What are you seeing? Not about football, but internationally about racism, about relations between countries. What are you seeing? What are you learning? I don't know where else you, Martin. I haven't watched any of the World Cup. I knew have, you were going to say that. But you don't actually, actually have to watch it. Actually, if you don't watch it, just watch the commentary. It's really quite interesting. Very little of it is about football. And that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, no, look, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it might be better to have somebody else feel this because I've really been trying to minimize my exposure to the general 
coverage around it. I have my opinions that it should never. I, have we had one interesting thing, Harry. On on, I did a quick conversation with with Nicholas McGeehan, who's a journalist who's covered it for years. Like before, they Qatar got it. He's he's been active on migrant workers' rights. And it's one of the most listened podcasts we've done in ages. And I couldn't believe it because I didn't think our listeners would, would like anything that was football affiliated. But it was really, it was listened to by, by lots and lots of people. And then you see this morning, um, uh, Dr. Umar Al-Kadri has gone to Doha to, to watch the World Cup now because there's this, because there is an argument there. And the argument is between, are we, you know, up on our? Are we in our ivory towers, throwing things down at people? Are are, are we being are we being snobs about it? And there is an already, like, um, we can talk about it, but the truth is, yes, there is a, a, an oriel or orientalism about it. I'm, I'm, Mehmet, I see you nodding your head. There is definitely that that issue whereby people are are judging, but. We cannot get away from the fact that this is geopolitics, it's corruption, it's abuse of human rights. Can I get your take on it, Mehmet, then, maybe? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the debate on the World Cup has begun long before the first missile, basically, because 6,000 migrant workers have died, and the conditions in Qatar in terms of migrant rights and whatnot has been horrific, and in these civil rights and whatnot. But, but I think we have to distinguish the genuine concerns of genuine people and the sort of sound bites of the European elite. By European elite, I mean, including FIFA. It's okay not to mention human rights in trade missions, as once an Irish minister said, visiting the Gulf regions, right? I forgot his name, it will come to me, right? He said that we won't talk about human rights and trade missions because we are selling beef, right? It's okay that Qatar is one of the biggest U.S. bases in the Middle East, and we won't talk about these things. But suddenly, we may also talk, we, we will talk about absolutely important, again, I distinguish between the, the concerns of genuine people, working class, ordinary people, progressive people versus the elite, who benefit from the relationships Qatar's. but suddenly, presenting FIFA as the bulwark or the spearhead of human rights democracy that will bring about change to a country. No, when the football is over, you're going to go back to your military deals, trade deals, and you're going to be comfortably sitting with oppressive regimes and making further deals in order to advance business. And It's about profit. Well, there was there was a piece in the paper this week saying that Adidas and Nike have seen a, an uptick in their share price. And I think really... That's what it's all about. Shamim, would you mind if I come to you and ask you, what's your opinion on the football? Um, I, I've, been, I've been trying, like Harry, to stay away to minimize my exposure to it as much as I can. But, but it's absolutely, the, 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 I think a lot of things, like even with immigration, are so political. You know, even, even we have the safe countries list and it's all political. You know, they were trying to put Turkey in the safe countries list and we know you know it's, it's not the case mm-hmm. um and, and with football i think they completely because of money and politics they kind of completely put all the human rights issues and everything out the door and as you said we have the iran's team over there and like they're expected to sing their anthem and just be that pretend was, like that was a great moment though shamim yes. i think like i mean it, it like in it's not appreciated as much in Europe, mm. but like you know, we talk about um, 
uh, Tommy Smith and 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 John Carlos about putting the fists up and and people forget about Peter Norman who gave them the gloves by the way to do that protest at yeah. the at the Olympics, but the Iranian team not I know you were saying to me that people didn't want them to travel and you had said that to me during the week so they mm-hmm. didn't want them to go, but yeah. it also it was it was it was a hundred times more powerful than the England captain um, saying I'm not wearing an armband. Oh, how worried they are. they're going to be penalized and they're going to get a yellow card that here's the Iranian team. But there's something else, to be honest with you. When it comes to football, the ultras of Egypt during the Egyptian uprising against the dictatorship, or the wonderful Irish Bohemian club and their supporters, which I'm one of them, right? No, no, no. We need to we need to edit this out. Bows, no, no bows stuff on this. You and Harry, two bows fans on on, on disgusting. <laughs> I just I just want to come in to say club. So sorry, sorry, let you mean finish, um, Mehmet, if you don't no, mind. I just wanted to say that um, I know um, when it was, I think, Iran versus England when they um, got six goals against them. And I think the Iran's coach was saying that um, it was because a lot of um, Iranian people who were in the stadium were just cursing the players for playing, you know. Um, And I know there were people dancing on the streets celebrating their loss in the streets of Tehran, you know. So um, I think these are the things that people don't get to hear about often. And they think, uh, and obviously, unfortunately, the Iranians play playing gives a level of legitimacy to Iran's government, you know. Mehmet, come on back in there. I was in Iran at the uh, two World Cups ago on the day Turkey was playing Germany, Turkey being the underdog indeed. Uh, Iranians were not in the cup and how they were uh, out there watching men and women together and Turkey bet I think Germany and they were as a neighboring country you know I don't think it was political or anything like that they celebrated right I think what the Iranian footballers this is, this are amazing it's amazing they're going to go back to a country right unlike unlike the, uh, the rest right they're going to go back to a country that at the moment is is uh, uh, jailing people for protesting and killing indeed right but one more observation about the World Cup Look at the European countries and look at the people of color, the immigrants, second, third generation immigrants. They're superstars. They're goal scorers. They're goalkeepers. But they, they, isn't that? But Mehmet, isn't that the way? I mean, I found this really strange, and I've blocked a lot of strange accounts yeah. during the week. They all follow international football, where you you simply have to have people from all over the world on your team to have a winning team and they will shout and support these guys yet there's a blind spot one last thing I would like to say about the world Irish GAA will be like that in future and and, 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 and the quicker it does the better we've seen we've seen only only a few people like I mean everybody goes Zach Moradi and I love Zach he's he's great crack but everybody just automatically Lee Chin Zach Moradi you know these names well now you've given me two things I have to say first of all 10 years ago or less than 10 years ago, we had complaints about being unable to make up a GAA team in the country in any small parish. And people were saying, we don't have enough people to make up. The young people are all gone. And now you have this gobshite saying Ireland is full. We didn't have enough people to make up a team. Teach them how to play GA and we'll have great teams. Absolutely fabulous teams. One last thing. I think the match of the World Cup for me is going to come down to Wales, England. And I think that's it for me. That's it. I want Wales to beat England. After that, I can turn it off and say, I am. I haven't actually watched a match. And that's the only one I'm going to watch. It's a pity Scotland's not there because their blood is up. I'd love to see them playing England at the present moment in time. I agree with you. 
I won't be watching. I won't be watching it at all. But anyway, um, look, thanks for joining us, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting Mehmet. It was lovely to, to have you join us for the first time. Harry, as always, you are a gentleman. And I, uh, apart from, actually, I appreciate no baseball cap, no Bose jersey this week. So that's a nice touch. Um, you, you've, you've made a big personal effort. And Shamim, as always, great reporting. Shamim, is there anything you want to plug for next week coming out or anything for Dublin Choir that you want to give a shout out to? I've been working on the Eastwell story and I'm hoping to just write something that's kind of different from what has already been written. Yeah. You always write the best angles, Shamim. So well, we, we, we so just much. expect it of you at this stage. And we and absolutely hopefully I'm meeting Eastwell residents who have taken part in the first two protests next week. A uh, couple mm-hmm. of us are going to meet for a coffee and we are hoping to meet some of the people uh, who, are, who are in the centre. Great stuff. Listen, folks, we're back. Oh, we're going to have lots of stuff coming next week. I I won't even, I won't even bore you with the details, but there's already, we're going back to Spain for the first time in a while. We're going, we're trying to cover Iran again. And there's a new report on Viktor Orban's government in Hungary that um, I've been given an advanced copy of. So maybe be covering that as well. So it's, yeah, we'll be plenty busy. Lots for you to hear and uh, we'll keep the content coming. Thanks for the support. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye.